Well, that's where we are this morning, thriving in Babylon, finishing up this series. And before I enter into it, I'd like to just pray with you as we pray for the launch of that venue service that you just saw there. So much has happened historically at our church in that room in the past 25 years, and we can't wait for the next chapter to turn over historically for our church as we launch the venue, our third worship service in English. We also have a worship service in both Spanish and English at 11 o'clock, but 9.15 starting next week as we're meeting here, so also we'll have a venue service over in the North Auditorium with the live video feed, and we're anticipating 150 or so to attend that. So I wonder if you'd pray with me as we launch that effort next week, and uh, pray with me as we enter into this morning's message. Gracious God in heaven, how grateful we are for the ways you've grown our church, the ways you've sustained our church across over a century. What a blessing it is to be at a church with such a history and so many generations, and to think about how that North Auditorium has been used since it was built back in 1991 for so many different ministries, how it is used today and how it will be used in the years to come for a unique ministry in this next chapter of our life together. Thank you, God, for the venue, for the opportunity that many will have to grow there in a more intimate environment, a smaller environment. We pray, Lord, that you would flourish it in the weeks to come. Father, would you have your way there that you would bring many toward the love of Christ and you would continue to grow our church in that room as you do week in and week out in this room. Now, Father, I thank you for the generosity of your church as we took our offering. Thank you for the kindness of our church to continue to give, be it this morning or online, for efforts like the venue and for so many other efforts that are happening throughout the church this week and in the months to come. We thank you, Lord, for all that is happening here and for the generosity of your people to help make it happen such that your name would be exalted more and more across our community and in our lives. We love you, Lord, and so now as we uh, turn to the Scriptures, as we finish up the book of Daniel, we ask for your help. Please teach us, God, how to apply these words to our lives that it would not be mere knowledge, but it would lead to wisdom, the careful application of your word to all the different places that we dwell. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we ask together. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was a kid, I've shared this before, but when I was a kid, I was kind of fascinated with telescopes. And my dad gave me a little kid-friendly telescope. And with that kid-friendly telescope, sometimes we would go out into the night sky uh, before Denver got so overpopulated and all the light pollution took away all the stars. Before all that, we would look up at the constellations together and I would just marvel at the vastness of the universe, be amazed at how great it was. And then from time to time, we got to get together with my uncle and his much less kid-friendly telescope, his adult-friendly only keep-your-hands-off-this-Adrian telescope. And we would look through that at Mars or Venus from time to time and, and further into our solar system. And one time we got to go up to a mountainside and look at Halley's Comet stream through the sky like Usain Bolt in the Olympics. Just incredible, stunning to experience. And I thought about that, these different kinds of telescopes, as it relates to Daniel. 
Because what Daniel does here in the closeout of his book is take out an adult-sized, man-sized telescope to look into the very, very distant future. Or it could be the close future. We don't know. But from his day, the very distant future. And what he's done to this point is use the naked eye to tell his people, this is what's going on right now in Babylon. Be prepared for this. This is what we must do to thrive here. And then at other times, he takes out a kid-friendly telescope, and he kind of looks into the future a few years or even a couple centuries. And he says, this is what's going to happen to our people. Be prepared for this. We'll be able to go back to our homeland in a short time. Be prepared for this. And he speaks with this kid-friendly telescope, so to speak, with such incredible precision about events that are to come. And then they occur a few hundred years later with such a precision that historians have looked at the book of Daniel and they said, how could this be that it was written back in 600 B.C. and these events were fulfilled in 250 B.C.? How could it be? Well, it's one of the things that reinforces the reliability and the authority of the Scriptures that God predicts through His prophets. And then they come through as true years later, just as He noted And here at the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 11 and 12, he looks into the distant future. Again, he picks up this man-sized telescope, and he looks into the distant future, and he says, this is what's going to happen in the distant future. I want to prepare you that things will get worse. They will get better, but also going to get worse, and they're going to get way worse. And then beauty will arise, and hope will come, and Christ will have the final victory. And uh, we'll get to that as we conclude the book of Daniel and thriving in Babylon today. But before we get into that from Daniel 11 and 12, you keep that in the back of your mind, I want to do something else this morning as well, and that's just to kind of give a bit of review of the book of Daniel and some key lessons that we've learned over the course of the past seven weeks. We don't spend as much time in the Old Testament, and because of that, it feels more unfamiliar to us, and it's really important for us to pause and review a bit on some of the things that we've learned. The question we started with in this series went something like this. How do we live faithfully in this setting, in which we feel increasingly marginalized today? Some of us feel like we might be in exile, kind of like Daniel and his friends felt in their context Things have changed rapidly. How do we live faithfully now? How do we live faithfully today when after centuries, even millennia of wisdom on what the family is has been overturned in the course of about a decade? How do you live faithfully in that? How do you live faithfully in a world in which you turn on the world news and you see genocide going on in the very cradle of civilization? Where Christianity and Judaism and Islam all had their start, there's genocide going on right there. And you turn on the national news and you see what looks at times like war in some of our city streets. And you turn on the news and you keep up with culture and you realize there's a level of angst between some people today in our culture that hasn't existed in quite some time. And it doesn't feel like we're being brought closer together. It feels like we're being divided more and more. Anyone else? How do we live faithfully in that. How do we live now when cultural Christianity is flourishing, but I would argue real, authentic, Jesus-exalting, Holy Spirit-filled, 
God-glorifying, self-sacrificing Christianity seems to be wilting. How now do we live? I believe Daniel gives us a great template of that, and that's what we've committed ourselves to over these eight weeks. And he begins that template by uh, stating here in the beginning, as we talked about it in Daniel 1 and 2, that in response to all this, living in Babylon, God invites us neither to fight nor to become a fortress, nor to enfold ourselves into the broader community, into the broader culture at large, but instead to become the fragrance of Christ to all that we encounter, to become the fragrance of something that is altogether different than these three ways of encountering culture. Daniel's so helpful for us as we think about how we are to encounter the broader culture. And to just fight back against people is to misunderstand our true enemy. We talked about that. To withdraw into hiding, to be a fortress, is cowardly. And to mimic the world around us, to look just like culture, to go with the winds of changing culture, that's just worldly. Now the difficulty comes in in that all of those tacks toward culture are much easier than the one I think Daniel gives to us. The one Daniel gives to us is much more difficult. His tact of engaging culture is truly to engage, to get in there and to see this as an opportunity to make a difference, to be the fragrance of Christ to all that we might encounter. It turns out that Mama was right. Anything that is good is hard. Nothing good in life is easy. Mama said it right to us. And as we tell our kids, the good things that we want you to learn, kids, they will always be difficult. And so it is for us. To become the fragrance of Christ is the harder tactic for us in engaging cultures, the harder path. But hear me now, it is so much better than the alternatives. Loving engagement with people that believe and act in ways that are different than you actually gives us the opportunity to become the pleasing aroma of Christ. We get the opportunity to be the salt that preserves a culture that is going awry. We get the opportunity to be a city on a hill, a light in an increasingly dark atmosphere. We get that opportunity. We get the opportunity to actually be the fragrance of Christ that people would see us and be around us and say, there's something different. I can smell it on them in a good way. We get that. What a joy. And think about this, my friends. It, these are not suggestions for us. These are not nice ideas to put on posters. These are not merely metaphors. These are commands. We are commanded to be the salt of the world. We are commanded to be the light of the world. We are told we will become the fragrance of Christ to those that we encounter. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. Now, the rate of change in our culture is dizzying, is it not? It, I, I mean, it just feels at times like you're on a boat, and the boat is moving back and forth with these huge waves, and it's hard to find your footing. It's hard to know where stability is. And so again, we've talked about how we would engage the culture and how we ourselves would gain more stability in this culture that feels like it's moving back and forth at such a dizzying pace. And the first thing, though, that we noted is that we are people who trust God for the future. We're people who trust God for the future. We believe there is one who is in charge. 
We believe there is one who is sovereign over time and space. We believe there's a God who's in charge of those who are in charge here on earth. And so we trust, even when it feels like things are going awry, because we know he is good, we know he is able, we know he will have the final word. So you look up at Daniel 2, verses 20 and 21. Let's read this together. It helps us as we get into this place of starting to fret. Please join me in reading this passage together with me. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the one that gives wisdom. And so we trust in him. When the rest of our world frets about the possibility of president so and so, we pray. And I'll admit in my weaker moments, I also fret about the possibility of present so-and-so, okay? I do too, in my flesh. But instead of going down that track and being wavered by this moving boat and, and freaking out, so to speak, instead of all that, we pray because we trust in the one who is in charge of those who are in charge. He is sovereign, and we know that in the end, he will do right. We need not freak out. That steadies the ship. Second, we are people of courage. And third, we are also people of humility. Let me address both of these at the same time. We are people of courage and we are people of humility. What we've seen in Daniel and his three friends is that rare blend of humility and courage. They brought together these two beautiful virtues in such a profound way, they refused to be doormats of anyone. Not even King Nebuchadnezzar. They wouldn't be his doormat. They stood up. They had backbone. And then at the same time, they refused to make anyone else their doormats. They didn't walk over those that they could walk over. They didn't walk over those who were opposed to them. They grew as influencers in Babylon, and so will we as we are equipped with these two most beautiful virtues. You see, when Christians courageously take small risks for God and for people around us, it stands out. And when Christians humbly approach those that they disagree with, lovingly and sacrificially approach those they disagree with, choosing not to shout, choosing not to be Twitter tweets, choosing to engage with love, it stands out. The world shouts. That's worldly. Christians are humble. They operate in a completely different manner and we gain credibility by that. This is, the kind of ch this is the kind of change that Christ can bring into our lives. And, and again, I'll just tell you, when we do that, when we live this way with trust and humility and with courage, it's magnetic. People see it and they say, that person has something different. I want what she has. Then we become people who are seeking God's wisdom through prayer we are not people who operate on our own wisdom because we understand in a culture like ours, our wisdom will, will not be enough. Uh, friends, our, our kids and young people entering the workplace 
are dealing with things in schools and in the workplace that we never dealt with, ever. It's a completely different day. They're dealing with ethical dilemmas that we didn't have to deal with when we were growing up. It requires the wisdom of Solomon. It requires the wisdom of Daniel to engage these places. I have a good friend back in Colorado who works for a small corporation, and uh, he tells me that every day at 3.30 or 4, the CEO taps the keg. It's a different world. On top of that, instead of a bonus share at the end of the year for sharing profits, uh, the CEO offers things like a box of candy or a cape or a new nickname for their business card. It's a different world. He tells me that uh, when it's time to support a local charity with some of the company's profits, and you know, he just needs to provide for his family, right? So he can't just walk away, he needs to provide for his family, but when it comes time to, to care for a local charity, the charities that are selected are always those charities that he actually would be opposed to. And he has to share a portion of his profits with those. Not charities that he would be ambivalent to, charities that he would be opposed to. This is the new world that we live in. It requires exceeding wisdom. Our own human wisdom is not enough for these kinds of scenarios. What we need to do is fall to our knees on a day in and day out basis and seek the God who promises us wisdom. One of God's very greatest promises to us is that when we lack wisdom, we can approach his throne of grace and he will find wisdom for us. He will give us wisdom that we need right when we need it. And most of us don't need more knowledge. Hey, hey. I don't need more knowledge. I don't apply the knowledge that I have. What I need is more wisdom. I need knowledge rightly applied, which is wisdom for contemporary culture. Knowledge alone makes people haughty. But wisdom makes people holy. If you're taking note, write that down. Knowledge alone makes people haughty. But wisdom, knowledge applied, makes people holy. And so we discipline ourselves to pray and to seek God's wisdom. And many of us are praying that acronym F-A-C-T-S, facts that we talked about last week. We're praying that day after day to grow our experience of God, asking God for more wisdom for the dilemmas that we experience on a day in and day out basis. And I tell you, keep on with it because we need the Lord now more than ever. We need to maintain a deep relationship with him, and we need his hope, we need his wisdom, we need his guidance, which requires prayer. Finally, we are people of hope. We are people of hope. And hope is one of those words that has changed over time. Today, hope primarily means wishful thinking. And so I kind of hope, I wish to one day go on a cruise to Alaska. I hope to one day be able to dunk a basketball, since I never was able to dunk a basketball. But Adrian, it ain't happening because the clock is not going backwards, right? Hope, as in wishful thinking, is something very different than biblical view of hope. A biblical view of hope is this confident expectation that certain things will come to pass. It's a blend of desire for the future and faith, eager expectation that some great things will come to, to pass. And we talked about this in the series, that we have hope because we know God's future victory is certain. 
It's part of our blessed hope that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. And this is not the hope of someone who's longing to win the lottery. It is the hope of someone who knows that goodness will prevail. And so we can get through any hardship that we face right now because we know that Christ is the victor, and we will reign with him. And so we have hope today, we have faith today that he will get us through whatever we are going through, even this dark season. We have hope. Friends, if we become these kinds of people, people of great trust in the God who is sovereign, people of humility and courage, people who seek God's wisdom in prayer and thereby develop a deeper relationship with God, gaining his wisdom, and people of exceeding hope, no matter how dark the world gets, I promise you, if you develop that, you will thrive wherever God puts you. You will be able to thrive in Babylon or in Los Angeles or in New York City or in Kearney, Nebraska, wherever God might put you, you'll be able to thrive through the love of Christ who gives you those beautiful virtues. So the question now is, how does Daniel wrap up? Given that review, how does Daniel wrap up this beautiful book on thriving in our contemporary cultures? He gives to his people one more time a bit of hope, and it needs to be uh, articulated and explained, and you'll probably need to take notes in this section as this is more than review. Hope for living in Babylon. He picks up this telescope once again, and he looks beyond his present future. He looks beyond future exile that the Jews will experience once again, and he gives God's people, the Jews at this time, and us in the future, the church, he gives us a portrait of a future that will include tremendous victory. And we'll see that in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible open to that, we'll just read the first three verses of Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise, in Daniel chapter 11 he just said, and the end time will come. The end time will come. And then Daniel says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been seen since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book shall be delivered. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, there's much in biblical prophetic literature that we need to admit on the front end we probably won't understand. As you've read through the book of Daniel, have there been some portions you didn't understand? Anyone else? A few hands back in the booth. Thank you for the honest ones. All of us would have to admit, you read through Daniel or Revelation, there's some things you don't understand. I love the way Daniel puts it in verse 8. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. What a relief. Daniel himself got these visions and these revelations of the future, and he understood some of them, but he did not understand all of them. And that helps us to have a bit of humility as we come to some of these visions of the end time. A little bit of humility as we see some of these revelations in the book of Daniel that we may not always understand. 
But what Daniel does again here is bring out this man-sized telescope and he looks into the future for the Jews and for all of us, peers into the future of what the end of all things, the beginning of all things will look like. The end of things as we know it will look like and the beginning of all things when God renews heaven and earth, what it will look like. And I'd like to share with you just a few highlights from these three verses. It is jam-packed theology and this we can know for sure. Here are some things that are clear from Daniel 12 and from many other places across Scripture. So if you're into theology, take a quick listen to this. Even if you're not into theology, I encourage you to listen to this because it is vitally important. Daniel begins by mentioning Michael here, the great prince. And the biblical view of angels, once again, is not that they're uh, playing harps on the clouds. The biblical view of angels is that they are these great ministering spirits who are sent to help those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews 1, verse 13 says that. Angels are sent to help those who will inherit salvation. And one of the ways this angel Michael is helping God's people in need is protecting the people of Israel during a time of great tribulation that will be far beyond any tribulation they've ever known. Which is saying something, given the history of the Jews. But there will be a time of great tribulation and Michael shall arise and he will protect them through that time of trouble, it says. And it says, your people shall be delivered in that. And I think what it's getting at is we're in a time that is characterized as the time of the Gentiles in which mostly Gentiles are coming to know Christ by faith. But there will be a time again in the tribulation at the end of days when a great number of Jews will come back to the Lord and praise him forever and ever. And we say to that, amen. Amen to that. And then everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life shall inherit eternal life. There's a word here about this book of life. And what happened in the ancient Near East were Uh, There were these cities that would write down the names of all their citizens in these books. And if citizens failed to keep the laws of those cities, their names were scratched out of those books. And Daniel's calling on that imagery. And he's saying, there is a heavenly register of all those who have bent their knees to their creator. All those who in the new covenant age, we know, have bent their knees to Christ. And all of them Their names, your names, my friends, those you know who know Christ, your names are written in the book of life and you will be preserved by Christ. Daniel 12 goes on and it gives this very difficult challenge for us in verse 2. It says, some people will awake to everlasting life and some people will awake to shame and to everlasting contempt. And that will, be re, that will be based on people's response to Christ in this new covenant age. In the old covenant, I believe it was based on the response to the light of revelation that they received from God, still based on faith in God as they got it. But in this new covenant age, it's based on a response to Christ. And some people today, tragically, have chosen to separate themselves from the love of God as revealed by Christ And the word of this passage and many other passages in the Bible, please do not miss this, the word of that passage is, they will have everlasting contempt. Now, I don't want to say that, but it would fail to be loving of me not to say it. Because these are the plain words of Daniel 
and Jesus and Peter and Paul and John, they're the plain words of Scripture. And I want to encourage you that even if you hate that idea, to at least reserve your judgment about that idea and consider taking Jesus at his word. That some people will rise to everlasting life and other people who did not do business with God who gave his son Jesus will rise to everlasting contempt. Now I believe that God is utterly gracious and I believe that God will have anyone who will have him on his terms. But here is something that even God cannot do. This is something that is logically impossible even for God. God cannot force someone to receive his gift of love. He can't do that. Just as we cannot force someone else to receive our gift of love, so also it's logically impossible for God to force someone to receive the free gift of love. And so, he invites us to himself. And we must respond to our creator who also longs to be the redeemer of every person in here, me included, who have fallen from the very high standards of God. Again, we may not like that. We may wish for it to be untrue. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. He said, if there's any teaching in Christianity that I would change if I could, it would be the doctrine of hell. But it is plainly taught by Jesus, so I cannot change it. I have sympathy with that. I might change this if I could. If you feel that way today, I have sympathy with that. I'm sure you have sympathy with that thought. But this is plainly taught by Jesus, and so we are wise to simply bow to what he says, regardless of our feelings or preferences, which are notoriously fickle anyway, and simply bow to the authority of the word of God and say, I trust that the God of the universe will do right even if I don't completely understand it myself, I will follow the words of Jesus, not the words that I want to believe about this subject. And the good news is, anyone who turns to him will be saved for all eternity, rising to everlasting life. And finally, as Daniel puts it here, those who are wise, those who rise, will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. What a beautiful statement this is. That those who don't just know the truth but seek to apply the truth, those who are wise, will shine. Those who courageously and humbly point people toward the love of God will shine those who stand as beacons of hope in a very dark world will shine like the brightness of heavens. I would imagine that's exactly what the teachers and administrators, the principals, the coaches that came up front, that's what they want. They, they want to shine for the students. They, they want to provide an example to the students of something better, of something that is righteous, of something that is good. They want to point people to a greater degree of hope. And I just wonder here, I wonder if it, if it could be that Daniel is again taking out his telescope as he gives verse 3, that those who, who point many to righteousness will shine like the brightness of the heavens and like stars forever and ever. And, and he's saying two different things, that, that those of us who follow Christ today, we will shine with the brightness of Christ today. 
that we have abundant life with him today, that the kingdom of God is now at hand for us today, that we can actually be salt and light and the fragrance of God today. We can experience all of that right now. But at the same time, what we experience today won't be nearly as glorious as what we will experience when we die and we go to Christ, and even more so when Christ returns in glory and he grants us resurrection. And I think he's pulling out this telescope and he's saying something like this, lumens will be added unto you. You think you're bright right now? And many of you are very bright with the light of Christ right now. You will be so gloriously bright when Christ returns and gives you resurrection that you will shine like the brightness of the stars in the heavens. That some of us will be looking at some of you and we won't even be able to recognize you because you're so bright with the holiness and the radiance of God. That is what is coming to those who trust in Christ. It's not pie in the sky by and by. It is hope for today, abundant life today, that we would shine today, but it is far more, it is the glorious reality that will shine like the stars forever and ever with Christ reigning by his side. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this as we close out Daniel. We spent eight weeks going through this, talking about thriving in Babylon. What is your commitment? As we finish out this book, we've talked about a lot, and it's been challenging. It's been very challenging for me, but what's your commitment? Some of you, I know your commitment needs to be to keep on praying. You've lost your prayer language with God, and we talked about it last week. You need to develop a prayer language with God once again. Develop this methodology for prayer such that you could experience more of God yourself. And he is sought by those who pursue him. He will have all those who pursue him. Keep pursuing him. Abide in Christ and you will know him more and more. Commit yourself to developing that methodology of prayer such that you will grow in a personal relationship with Christ. He will be had by us if we will seek him. For some of us, that's the commitment, is to keep spending time in prayer, to grow in our relationship with the loving God. For others in this room, I know there are many here that walk independently with God. Walk independently from God. And you might go on week after week attending church, but the truth is you walk independently from God. And I would just ask you humbly to consider the gravity of this statement from Daniel. There will be some who will rise to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. And those are not my words. Those are the words of Scripture. And Jesus would offer you instead, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Will you have me on my terms, Jesus says, through the cross of the Lord Jesus? Will you give yourself, surrender yourself to me, Jesus would say, and I will give you eternal life tomorrow and abundant life today. And I promise you, if you are on the edge today, he does not offer that to take away your joy. He offers that to give you joy. He does not offer that to be mean-spirited, in some way, he offers that because he is your creator, so he knows just what you need for time and for eternity. He is the redeemer who is willing to bring you unto him, but he won't offer forever. Christ will return, and we will die, and there won't be opportunities after that. So I beg of you, take his offer seriously. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and he will have you for good 
if you offer yourself to him asking for his forgiveness. And finally, for others of us still, there are some in this room for whom I would say probably the commitment is to take your light out and let it shine. There are some that are probably hiding their light under a basket, hiding it back behind a fortress, and what Daniel would have us do is take our light out for the world to see. And the way we do that is getting to know people who believe something different than us and engaging them with confidence, with boldness, with a newfound hope, with a trust in God, letting them know that God would have them speaking for the cause of Christ. Because God has not called us to be plugs, that the good news of his blessing would stop with us. God has called us to be conduits, that the blessing would come to us, and then it would flow through us, and it would be given to others, that they might also shine with the radiance of Christ. I know that many people are given to despair in our culture, but one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in this study from Daniel is this is no time to despair. This is a time for great hope, isn't it? My friends, this is a time for great hope. It is not a time for fear or for despair. This is a time of golden opportunity for us to shine with the brightness of the love of Christ for all that we might encounter. As things get darker, we get to be brighter. We get to be lighter. As things get more and more decayed, we do more work of preservation. We get to provide hope to those who are hopeless today. This is the golden age of Christian leadership for all those who are serious about following Christ and making his name known. And that's what I'm praying for you and for me. Would you join me, please? Lord God, we thank you that you do not call us to life as usual. There is so much challenge in the book of Daniel because there is so much challenge in the person of Jesus. And you, Lord Jesus, challenge us to take up our cross daily and to follow you. And you tell us that it will not be easy. And so we fall to our knees and we say, we are ready for the task, Lord God. Would you grant us a newfound capacity to thrive right here, right now, in 2016? Thank you, God, that you invited every one of us to be world changers in our community. Would you lead us, Lord? We confess that we need to trust you. We need your hope. We need you to lead us. And Father, I'm sure there are others in this room today that have heard a message like that, heard these words of Daniel, heard these things from the very word of God. And the response would have to be, I need to consider Christ. And friends, if you're in that place today that you've not bent your knee to God, he would invite you today, maybe he is right now, to understand that Jesus says, I am the way, I'll be your way. I am the truth, I'll be your truth. I am the life, I will be your life for now and for eternity. And you could simply turn to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me for all my sins? I've failed you in so many ways, would you forgive me? I look to the cross and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price for substituting yourself for all of my failures, would you forgive me? And as you do, you can know that your God is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to give you new hope for today and for all eternity. 
If you've done that today, would you please let us know after service? Would you let us know on that tear-off portion of your bulletin? Let us know that you made a commitment to Christ today. We'd love to come alongside you and help you grow in Christ. But for every one of us, Lord, we ask that you would point us to more of heaven, to more of your good news, to more of your hope, to more of shining like the stars in the universe until all the world knows that you are the Lord, the giver of life, the Savior for all of mankind, in whose name we pray.